This is a special edition of Stand Up with Pete Dominic from the Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, Colorado on Indie Sirius XM 104. We are in beautiful Aspen, Colorado with a uh, decent view, I'll say, here on a beautiful terrace broadcasting to you. From the Aspen Ideas Festival, I am Pete Dominic, and I'm really excited to finally chat with our next guest. Uh, well, actually, I should say, he's, in person. he's, he's uh, been kind enough to call into the program a couple times in the past, but he is out here uh, as part of uh, one, of, one of the panelists at a number of different programs here at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Uh, but more importantly, he's the editor of Wonk Blog at the Washington Post. He's a contributor to MSNBC. He's a columnist uh, at Bloomberg, right? And, uh, and of course, you can read him at the Washington Post. Ezra Klein, great to finally meet in the person. There is nobody who I've uh, plugged his work uh, more than yours. A big Thank fan. you. You see, that is great. I really admire what you're doing in terms of plugging my work. Uh, you're welcome because, I mean, you, you need it. You're, I think you're going to be a big deal in Washington media. I think there's a future, and I think you're going to harness the Internet. I am. We do intend in 2013, one of our goals is to try to begin using the Internet mm-hmm. more often. Yeah, you should tweet. You should get a Twitter account. <laughs> we should get a I Twitter have account. helped so many people try get some Twitter social media. Um, you are uh, actually annoyingly funny on Twitter. I don't like that you're a wonk and a nerd and also have a good sense of humor. It bothers me when you'll tweet something and I want to retweet it. That bothers me. It irks me because I'm a stand-up comedian and you shouldn't. You shouldn't have a sense of humor. See, I, I feel the opposite about it. What bothers me is that I am not funny on Twitter. Um, really? The you number of I... things that I would like to tweet that I don't is much larger careful, than the number right, of things right, that right. I like to tweet that I do. That's fair. Uh, for instance, here's one I think I can say here. This I don't whole think segment is bad. things Ezra Klein wished he could have tweeted. This, this just isn't – this is not <laughs> part of my work, so I think right. we're, we're okay on this. Um, right. <laughs> but I got out of Superman last night um, because I am a nerd and I go see comic book movies when sure. I'm in Aspen. Of course. And – I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I don't think I'm spoiling anything huge here. It It is mostly a a, a movie about knocking down buildings. Uh, It it is mostly a movie about skyscrapers in New York City. Transformers Part 4. So what I wanted to tweet coming out was um, I just saw the best skyscraper snuff porn I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Um, that's safe. That's you can do that. You can I do don't it. know. So what I did tweet was I don't know why Zack Snyder hates tall buildings so much, which is <laughs> not that funny. <laughs> well, it's not as funny as the, what you'd wish you could tweet it. But when you're working for the Washington Post and Bloomberg, I, you got to be a little bit more careful. And when your image is what it is, uh, a, a stats guy and an evidence guy, and that's frankly, I mean. I, I have really, I really have promoted um, Wonk Blog, Wonk Book, and, and, and told all my listeners to subscribe to the email, which I get every morning. Now Wonderful. you get a, a PM uh, thing aggregating all the posts at, at my, really my favorite blog because you guys do such a great job at, at looking at data and evidence and charts and studies and studies of studies. And you, re- and, and you really are able also to do that on a broad range of issues. And, you know, people look at Ezra Klein as a, he's kind of an economic policy guy. But, I mean, one of the most important posts I read after Newtown was what doesn't work with gun regulations. Mm-hmm. And I relied on it a great deal. It's how do you – why is that so much so important versus – I mean, you do actually give opinion and so on. But, I mean, why is relying on evidence so important? And do you fear that more and more people are not doing that? I actually am enthused that I think more and more people are doing it. Uh, I should say that, number one. When I, when I look around D.C., and I'm not saying there's not a lot of commentary that I find um, insipid. or, or Here's where I would put it. Here's the single most underutilized uh, concept in, in Washington political commentary. It's the counterfactual. 
an enormous amount of what happens in Washington, D.C., an enormous amount of what we in D.C., we who do political punditry, we who do political reporting, tell you about American politics. The place it really falls down and the thing you need to be watching for is are we ever dealing in a serious and a rigorous way with our counterfactuals? So when we say, okay, the immigration reform bill is, let's say, I'm not saying it is at the moment, but just a hypothetical, is sputtering. And the president should go out and he needs to lead more aggressively in terms of the immigration reform bill, which is the president should go out and lead. It's like a macro on the keyboard of everybody in D.C. who does political commentary. You just no matter what the issues, you press F5 and it just says the president <laughs> should go out and lead. The sentence is pre-written. And then nobody actually then goes and like deals with the counterfactual. OK, let's imagine that world where he goes out and says that. And then John Boehner says, what we heard today is more partisan rhetoric from the president that we don't want to have. We, you get the Eric Kanner thing, which is this go, just goes to show the president coming in. We were having a cooperative process. He doesn't want a deal. There is, I think, a, a generalized inability or a, a, a – let me put this a little bit differently. There is a willingness, I think, too often in, in politics to offer arguments that I don't have either a counterfactual or any kind of testable hypothesis to them. And the thing that's good about when you use evidence, when you ground the work you're doing a little bit more empirically, it's not that you can't be wrong. It's not that you can't either be wrong about the evidence or the evidence itself is wrong, or you interpret it incorrectly, or you put it in a framework that didn't work. The idea that smart guy, that the, the, the charts somehow ensure truth is also a poisonous concept in and of itself. But at least if you're showing your work, then folks can click through and say, okay, that's where the numbers actually are. Numbers yeah. make it – it's not that they make it impossible to lie, but it makes it a little bit clear when you are lying, and it makes it a little bit clear what assumptions are being made. Uh, I'll, I'll make one last point on this. The reason I love covering budgets is that <laughs> – Sentences you never hear me this say. This is why I'm such a but, funny tweeter, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I say things people are like, oh, that's very, very funny, and I the just really I mean love... I love covering budgets. Budgets make it harder for political parties to lie about what they want to do. When you hear folks talk about what they want to do in terms of in terms of economics or in terms of social programs, when you hear, say, the Republicans talk about reforming Medicaid so states have more flexibility, and it sounds great. They say, oh, you know, we're going to go and we're going to bring it closer down to the people and the folks who know their constituents best. We're going to make this program more efficient, and it'll work better. Then you look at the budget, and they're cutting Medicaid by $750 billion, and you say, oh, that's what they're actually doing. And when, you, when, you, when you're uh – you got some water, Ezra? Okay, I do. Good. I want to make sure you're hydrated here. The great Ezra Klein. What do you drink, by the way? What do I drink? Socially. Uh, what is Ezra Klein Whiskey. Drink? Whiskey, really? Yeah. Only whiskey, no beer? No, I mean, I drink beer, but, okay, so, but I, I figured you, we were talking about a favorite thing. I drink a lot of different kinds of fluid. What? In, term, in terms <laughs> I of... I say we need to, to, to survive. I, I had coconut water while I was walking over here, but... Cause cause you're, only because you're an Aspen? Often. Yeah, well, they were handing it out. So oh, really? Thought, okay, I'll have some coconut. It was uh, What good. whiskey yeah, do you drink? terrible. Yeah. And how much do you experiment? Um... What whiskey do I drink? What whiskey does Ezra Klein drink? Eh, usually rail. Really? I mean, y you can go too low on rail, but Help me if, out, if I have Jim Beam here, it's fine. Help me um, out, Alfred. Rail. Uh, I'm just getting into <laughs> whiskey myself, so I don't even really rail wow, I'm let me, sorry, guys. Let me down. Sorry, guys. Let me down, pal. Uh, number one, I'm happy to find out that I'm, that I'm cool on the folks on the indie, on the indie series. Yeah, you like definitely it. are. Rail just means whatever, you know, whatever is the base liquor at the bar. It's not a particular kind. Oh, so it's like, well, whiskey. Yeah. Oh, we say okay. well where we're from. Oh, I say rail. Pop Possibly I have it rail and it I have it wrong, and it turns out I just exposed myself as a complete amateur drinker. <laughs> when, when I you, would when buy you that say, as well. When Ezra Klein uh, says the reason I love covering budgets, um, I hear uh, a lot. I, I want to get to a different narrative, and that is I don't think most Americans, and I know you'll nail me if I'm generalizing here, and I hope you will. 
I feel like most Americans don't know what government pays for, how they pay for it, just don't understand yeah. just just fundamental civics. And right now, I think, you know, with all the budget cutting, uh, what we're seeing in America is people are losing services and, and, and personnel and so on. And I fear that they aren't going to even realize that that is as a result of the conversation and the partisan politics in Washington. They aren't even going to realize that that's what government does. That's what your taxpayer, that's what your taxes go to. And they're going to, you know, the famous get the government yeah. out of my Medicare sign. And I worry about that apathy in America. Well, let me Do you, a- are you too inside Washington to, to worry about that? No, I think I'm just inside enough to be terrified of it. But but let me make a, a broad point about this. Because Will you I make me that, feel better at this point? No. Oh, um, I, you're right, I think. I think you just made two points that are different and point in different directions. So right. one is folks don't totally know what the federal government does, right? And the famous examples, people think we spend 15 or 20% of our foreign budget aid. on foreign aid. It's yeah. a half percentage point. You can explain the bulk of what the federal government does in a single sentence. The federal government is like a large insurance conglomerate with a standing army. I've that stolen that do. line from you, and I generally give you credit. It's a perfect— I've heard, though, that it may not actually be my—I'm pretty sure I thought of it myself, but it does appear that other people Parallel have come thinking. up with, with similar Sorry. lines before, so you don't have to credit me. But that said, what I think is notable about the way the budget conversation is going right now is those mega programs are not untouched but not hugely badly hit. Now, actually, defense, interestingly, is a, a counterexample there. They're getting really pretty seriously cut through sequestration. But a lot of the things that are actually getting cut, it's not Medicare, and it's not really Medicaid at the moment. Uh, Republicans would like to cut Medicaid, but they're not having much luck. Social Security is untouched. Uh, what's happening is there are a lot of smaller programs that are in this kind of bucket. And this, the, the fact that we call this bucket non-defense discretionary spending, it is absolutely the most dangerous term in government because it makes it sound completely unknowable. Nobody knows what it means when you cut right. it. You just yeah. sort of move it on the spreadsheet. Right. But that's infrastructure. It's education. It's a lot of income support. It's all kinds of things that really do matter to people. It's research and development. And a lot of those things are getting cut. So a lot of the things that we're going to lose here, by the way, when, when people talk about us losing our seed corn, consider cutting the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. I can't consider right? that. That's the, my biggest but, fear. But this is one of the big things here, right? Harry Reid is actually on a big campaign. And it's crazy. It's a huge thing, right? But people aren't going to feel that. I mean, your friends who can't get grants will, but they're not going to feel it, right? right? right what they right, will get right. is we will not invent a drug we otherwise would have invented, and people whose lives would have been saved, they won't have their lives saved. Well, they are going to feel hard. it. They're going to die, potentially. But Ezra Klein says people are going to die. they won't know it, right? right. They won't know exactly. why. I mean, exactly. The they're not connecting we, the dots. And I mean, this is something happening even in Obamacare right now, right? It's why Republicans have been trying so hard to repeal this thing before it begins in 2014. People don't, they don't miss cuts but, to programs they didn't have they don't miss something that they don't have right like i mean i might i might live and you might live to some degree in a world where budget baselines feel real but to the rest of the world they don't feel real and that i think is a lot of what's happening right now you have a lot of things we're killing for the future that people really could benefit from really could need and simply aren't going to be there and they're not going to know the mistakes we made because it won't be a visible mistake it won't be like you get a, a letter from the government saying we were giving you an unemployment check of X amount, and now we're giving it to you of X minus 11%, which, by the way, is happening to people now. That's one where people do know. Yeah. But a lot of this stuff just doesn't work like that, and that's a big part of the problem. How can we remedy that? Should there be some type of a massive campaign to educate people? Should we have civics? We were talking to Heather Smith yesterday, Rock the Vote, you know, being taught more in, 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 in high school and so on. I mean, do you think there's anything you can do? Because – I feel like a lot of it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about how people learn. A lot of it is just what they hear in sound bites on television and this and that, and it's, they have no idea. You know, I think we get into a, um, 
this is one of the harder opinions I have to express in a way that I think is is not doesn't get me in trouble. So let me try and, and, and give me a little bit of generosity here. <laughs> Gain publicity um, for the program. We have a political system that is set up. It, we are not a direct democracy, right? We are not a we, we do not make people vote on right, every single right, thing right. we do. We can't be asking people. You hear this a lot. I think it's embedded in what you're saying. It's embedded in a lot of Washington commentary that well, the American people are getting the government they deserve. They don't know. You had a post recently about this, I think. Uh, Possibly. Uh, And there is this idea out there that if things are going badly in Washington and the American people aren't themselves spending all day reading Wonk Blog, that, well, it's their fault because if they cared, if they wanted things to go well, we can't be asking that of them. We can't say to folks who who have tough lives, who are working two jobs, or even who are not working two jobs, but just want to come home and spend time with their family and watch baseball, that you suddenly have to become like a serious expert on the incredible manifold issues in American politics. So I do think a lot of our system is built such that we can make a set of fairly well-structured choices, right? Like who will represent us in Congress. And they are supposed to do a good job on our behalf. And when they are not doing a good job on our behalf, I think that it is a, um, it, it is a damaging thing to let them off the hook by saying, well, you know what? It's the American people's fault because they're not, they're not following the ins and outs of congressional procedure and don't know anything about the Hastert rule. Well, yeah. That's an interesting. I want to. I want to. I could keep going on every one of these with Ezra Klein, uh, on and on. But I want to get to a, a, a keep on bunch going of, on every one of these with Ezra Klein. The new show on Sirius. Uh, well, I, I, <laughs> we're I, already we, tied up, but it's good. We can set. We can set. <laughs> we can set the meeting up. Um, and, and this is a huge question for you, which is why the beard? Is that because you weren't going to be on TV for a week or something? And you said I'm. Screw so it. I went to. I went on vacation with my wife. Mm. Um, and my wife Annie Lowry. Yeah, um, very, very. Uh, she, she's great. She wanted me to keep the beard when I got back, so I did. <laughs> Interesting. I don't even have a conversation about facial hair with my wife. Moving on. Um, Ezra Klein is joining us, and uh, we're out here at the Aspen Ideas Festival. And I, w- I want to just – you pour over numbers. You look at charts. You look at data. You look at evidence, and then you write something that people like uh, me can digest to understand it. Um, recently, you were in the White House and some covert Bloomberg ma- – uh, uh, Bilderberg meeting, of course, uh, You know, running the new empire. I, I – I, I, why were you at the White House? But more importantly, do, do policymakers ever ask Ezra Klein and people like you and, and policy experts um, like uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron Carroll, who we have on the show, I know you know, do they ever consult with you? Because I fear that policymakers don't understand policy very well. Well, let me say a couple of One, they don't, but I wouldn't consult with them, right? There are bright lines in my profession. And it has happened, you know, and it happens to, I think, a lot of columnists where folks say, well, what do you think? What do you, and the yeah. answer is, it's not for me to tell you what I think. You can read my really? columns and, and whatever. I mean, the, the, the audience can figure out what I think. But I will not advise a politician on anything. And any question structured in a way that it appears that that's what's being asked for, I will refuse to answer. It's simply a rule in my But mind. you are asked? Not often, no. I mean, in part because people know this in D.C. I mean, I'm not saying it's never happened, right. but like – and it doesn't happen okay, in the White so House. Fine. But, okay, so let's go to the White House, right? So this happens, I feel like, every so often to me. It's happened when I did a meeting with some Democratic Senate chiefs of staff. Happened this one time at the White House recently um, where I'll go and be at a meeting and somebody will report that, there were, you know, that I went and attended some kind of um, source meeting. And then there will be some kind of fever swamp somewhere that will decide, well, okay, going to the White House as a reporter who covers the White House is – somehow synonymous with getting brainwashed. Not incestuous even. That that is if what I was going there was to receive talking points. The day before I was at the White House, I spent two hours in the afternoon 
and a Republican senator's office, hearing him sort of download his entire view of American fiscal and public and, uh, and, and political ideas. Uh, that day, I went to the White House to hear about a set of things. I was an off-the-record meeting as well. The next day, I was in the House of Representatives talking to John But Dingle. you're doing this more as a reporter, trying to get information, yeah, than, I, than being invited whole, but, to get, but give but your when take. When I read this kind of thing from, from different folks who, who have an agenda in it, what it always strikes me is you have no idea what it is actually like to report. I mean, my job mm. is not just pouring over numbers. I mean, that's in some ways the easy part. Like, my job is... Getting people to tell me what they think so that I can understand the arguments that I can't intuit. One of the one of the things that really changed in my work when I came to D.C. And, and look, there are all kinds of things that go wrong when you professionalize. Right. And like there are issues with sort of, you know, the, the blurring of social and professional relationships. And I mean, the things people say about D.C., that there's an incestuous world that does have problems with it are, are all true. And, and those are things that I that I worry about a lot. But one of the things that was really important for me to learn was that. You know, back when I was just kind of a blogger or even when I was a reporter in D.C., but I wasn't really reporting yet and I didn't have good sourcing. And it was easy for me to come up with logical explanations for why people were doing things that just routinely turned out to be wrong later on. Right. It's very easy to look at the numbers or come up with an explanation of people's behavior that fits why you think they're doing it, that fit the facts yeah, that's perfectly all I well. do all day. Exactly. Don't mock it. And then you go and you talk to them and maybe they have a good explanation. Maybe their explanation right. is really bad. Right. But you're not doing a good job if you've been figured out why they think they're the hero in their own story. <laughs> and, and that's a really important thing. One thing I think is a real mistake people make about DC <laughs> is to explain everything in terms of this kind of Machiavellian cynicism. And the number of people wandering around that city, it's not none yeah. who are cynically doing something they know is a wrong thing in yeah. order to screw over their opponents or in order to win power. Right. But it's a lot smaller. The, the co cognitive dissonance and b convincing yourself with bad arguments is a much more common rationalizing technique. People don't like to walk around feeling like a snake. And so the, the work of going around and trying to understand why people think they are doing what they are doing, what it is that they are telling themselves, and also oftentimes what the good reasons are, what you haven't considered, what dimensions of the issue you've never been confronted with, that is fundamentally the work of journalism. The other stuff is research, and that's important. But not talking to people. Yeah. I'm not good at my job if I'm not talking to I'll people. I'll tell you, I, I am not a journalist. I have no training in journalism, and I have a tremendous respect for, for journalists like yourselves. But I have tasted that, uh, what you're talking about, um, you know, hosting this program and the privileges that it, it, it offers and been in a lot of different congressmen's office. And I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, it really definitely reduces my sense of cynicism and criticism. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with Walter B. Jones, who is a pretty right-wing Republican, talking about his really, really, I think, heroic stance on Afghanistan because of his regret for his vote in Iraq. And while we don't agree on a lot of issues, I spent a lot of time with that guy, and, and he's the real deal. He believes in everything that he's saying. And, you know, I mean, that's, that is a really important experience, I think, to have before you— to, to prevent that cynicism. From and it's also important, I think, in terms of inf informing uh, the fundamental question of my work, I think, and, and of Wonk Blog, is why are things happening the way they are happening? Mm. Right. Why is this actually going on? What is the pressure point here? Why do people believe they're doing what they're doing? What conclusions have they reached about it? And you really can't do that. You can't tell people how the political system works without a really sort of deep understanding of what of what forces the players in it believe they are responding to. And if you feel like you're kind of above doing that, there there are really important things that come through other kinds of, of, of research. Right. You talked about Aaron Carroll. Right. Yeah. He writes at the Incidental Economist is a great healthcare policy expert. And he's doing a Joins lot of peer reviewed week. research on healthcare. 
Yep. That's an incredibly important set of, of, of facts and, and, and theories to be bringing to the table. That's not, you know, I, I learn from people like Aaron. But right. one of the things that, that I can do being in, in D.C. with all the costs of being there is that I can come to people and I can say, well, here's what, you know, the sort of key Republicans and key Democrats and key sort of power centers here. Here's why they think they're doing what they're doing. Um, and that's why I used to spend a lot of time interviewing Paul Ryan, why I interview a lot of folks still now. It is really important to know yep. what people think about their own story. Yeah, you put, once published your, a conversation that you had with Paul Ryan. I've, covered, I've, I've done five with that. And, and that is a fascinating read. And, and if I have more time, I want to really zero in on, on Ryan and, and his budget and, and, and your take on it all. But I I want to, since I only have a couple more minutes with Ezra Klein here in Aspen, I wanted to actually, and I, I should be talking about all the things that you're doing here in Aspen, um, and you're on a bunch of panels, but I got to get to, I think, an issue that all of my listeners and, and our audience um, and real Americans are concerned with, and, and, and that is the unemployment issue. And it's like, it's not sexy to talk about, um, it's, it's not necessarily considered like a social issue. 7.6% unemployment. I mean, we're still at in a really, really tough spot, but it's almost like the Washington conversation has moved on to other things because they are important. Immigration is important and obviously touches us. Where are we right now in the country with our en employment, and what is it going to take, in your opinion, to get it going? Better? We are growing too slowly. I mean, it is kind of as simple as that. I don't think I, I think it's important again here to think about what what has happened. Every congressman, everybody in politics, they all do this sort of for the record. What we should be talking about is unemployment. Mm -hmm. And so the question, of course, is why aren't they? And the answer is that they have all come to this decision that they can't do anything about it. And the word there can't is, is a bad word because it's not that they don't have the power. It's it. Republicans basically will not allow pretty much anything to be done. Um, certainly anything the White House or the Democrats would accept. And so they, they've tried to move on to these other issues where they think they can actually do something. There's a, there's a desire sometimes for people to have them just kind of talk about it, but talking about it doesn't do much at all. So what they've done is they moved to immigration where they think, well, maybe they can actually get something done and moved off of unemployment. But as you say, the, the result of that has been a kind of a settling resignation into this terrible economy. I mean, if you had told folks back in 2005 that we would kind of just get used to 8%, 7% unemployment, and we, it wouldn't be treated as an emergency in Washington, right, right. it would have been grotesque. And by the way, I do think that those unemployment numbers are, in truth, understated, because you have had people dropped yeah, by the labor yeah. force who wouldn't have dropped out if not for the bad economy. You do have a lot of people in jobs that are, you know, as I say, sort of uh, unhappily part-time. So, I mean, you're dealing with a continuing unemployment crisis. And, and the issue here, though, and this is true for a lot in Washington, this is not a, a some kind of dramatic, confusing policy thing. We know how to help people who are unemployed. <sighs> we can give them money. We can do a, a big tax cut. They put money into the pockets of working folks. Instead, we ended the payroll tax cut this year. We could hire them to rebuild roads and bridges and do it, by the way, on the cheap right now because we have a lot of construction workers out of work and we can borrow at an incredibly low rate. And we're going to need to do that anyway later. So it's not like we're saving money by letting bridges get worse. Yep. We're not doing that. We could but with be the conversation schools. There are just a ton of things that people know that we could be doing right. that they just can't seem to move. And it's because, and we should all be, be clear, at least on the unemployment issue, because House Republicans will not allow any kind of stimulus measures to move. And there was a long conversation that dominated the, the, Three minutes. the political media about debt and deficits uh, up throughout the election. It was a clear strategy. Um, and it seems, unfortunately, that a lot of Democrats, I think, bought into that too much to some extent and started even the president adapting and adopting a lot of the language. Uh, and there's a lot of people like you and a bunch of different bloggers and screaming and shouting, oh, the problems in, uh, is employment. And I asked the question too many times on the radio show to listeners, unemployment uh, or 
or debt and deficit, which are you more concerned with? And I don't hear a lot of conversation about debt and deficit no right now. there's no reason we even need to choose. I mean, this is to me, there are some things where you really do need to choose. I mean, there are, there are issues where you can only do one thing and not the other. But it was a, yeah, but it was a false be, choice that was presented, right, Ezra. Right, exactly. And but, but this is why it is so unbelievably grotesque what's happening in Washington. Every economist will tell you just the obvious thing to do right now is to put in place a plan that has two years of enhanced employment spending and then, 12, and then 10 years following that of deficit reduction. There is absolutely no reason we can't do these things together. In fact, they actually help each other. Two you minutes. could get unemployment down right now, and then you could begin getting the debt and deficit down on a more rapid path in the next 10 years, and you're putting in policies that grow not only in the next 10 years, but the next 20, the next 30. We're talking there about entitlement cuts and about tax changes. You would solve both problems. There, there's, and, and what we're doing instead is the exact reverse. We are cutting deficits too much now, so we make the unemployment problem worse, which, by the way, <laughs> makes a future debt and deficit problem worse. And then if you look at what CBO says is going to happen, we're having the re most rapid fall in deficits in the post-war period, the post-World War II period, over the next two years. And then the deficit drifts back up until 2023 and then in the future. That is precisely the opposite. We want to be seeing more support for the economy now and then deficits on a downward path Enough in the future. with your data it and your evidence. It is absolutely insane. Enough with your data and your evidence and your charts. Uh, I have less, uh, what, minute and a half. It's a lightning round with Ezra Klein. Yeah. Uh, one word answers. Uh, what country has the best uh, health care uh, system? Probably France. Your favorite politician? I don't think it's appropriate for me to say. Uh, what do, does government spending get it, it, the best bang for the buck? What kind of government spending is the best bang for the buck? Infrastructure. What TV show could you not live without? Do you have time to watch television? <laughs> I'm trying to think. It used to be Top Chef I couldn't live without, but there. But there, in terms of that, I can leave. live. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave then. <laughs> uh, boxers or briefs? Uh, depends. Uh, who are your? And I don't mean, by the way, depends is in terms of the adult diaper. See, now you could tweet that out. I don't think you get that much <laughs> trouble. Um, and who do you like to read? What blogs do you like to read? What what people do you like to follow on Twitter? Give some shout outs. Um, Matt Iglesias has been. Uh, Always, um, Kevin Drum, Jonathan Chait has been doing, I think, amazing work. Tyler Cohen, I really like Josh Barrow. I'm a big fan of um, the whole sort of econ blogosphere, which I think has been just a huge, you know, Brad DeLong and Krugman, but also a lot of the folks there who have been doing more monetary theory, like Scott Sumner. I think that stuff has just been a, a huge step forward. How do you forward. feel about the Washington Post's E.J. Dion, who's standing over your shoulder? I love E.J. Yeah. He is a great man, a great American, and a great human being. And you host a television show. Can you tease E.J. Here. will be joining us next? Yeah, if you don't stick around to listen seconds. to E.J., you are someday going to die never having known what E.J. Dion Five, said on this television show, and you will have four, regrets and you don't want Three, to go to your deathbed with those two Ezra rats. Klein, Washington Post. Follow him on Twitter. We're back with E.J. Jones. Thanks, buddy.